We're going to talk about the walk of faith tonight. We start in 1 John 5, 4 and 5. We are going to do quite a bit of scripture tonight, so I've got most of the scriptures up on the side so you don't have to spend a, a lot of time flipping through your Bible tonight. But in 1 John 5, 4, 5, he says, For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Over 40 years ago, about 20 years, when I was 20 years old, I remember sitting in a meeting at InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, and I just sat there, and for the first time in my life, I understood. Although I had been in church most of my life growing up, and then I had become pretty much an agnostic, I was sitting there, and I recognized for the very first time, I just sat there, and I said, oh, that's why you died. You died for me. That was the first time I began to understand the importance of the gospel and who Jesus Christ was and why he died. And I placed my faith and trust in him that night. And I have never looked back. You know, I mean, the Lord from there has taken my wife and I, you know, halfway around the world. We have seen the Lord do so many amazing things. But it was 40 plus years ago. And... Um, it's, it's exciting to watch what God is doing. This weekend, your leadership board is continuing their journey with the Lord as they grow together and seek the Lord's wisdom and vision for this church. Pray for them. I spent 11 years on the board, went to at least 10, if not all, 11 board retreats. And it is a group of men who love the Lord, but also realize who we are apart and without the Lord. And without the Lord, we, we need his wisdom and his guidance and his vision for what the Lord wants to accomplish within this church and within the body of Christ here. So pray for them as they seek the Lord. And they also, you ever get 23 people together and try to get them to agree on one item. Learning to work together is, is an important thing. Your leadership needs us to pray for them daily. Pray for your leadership on a regular basis. We are, they're godly men but who need the Lord in their lives. Um, the message is going to be heavy in Scripture. Scripture is the best teacher of Scripture. I'm not interested in a clinical study of faith tonight. My desire is that as we go through Scripture today, we will see how faith needs to permeate every area of our life 24-7. Faith in what? What does it mean to overcome the world? There is a battle going on for our affections. There is a world system that is in contradiction to the gospel and the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith will help me realize that the world does not dictate my happiness or the direction of my life. Victory over this system comes through faith in Christ. He that believes is in a position to have victory over the world around us. But it comes with our salvation. It comes when we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. God is doing one thing in our lives. Before we are saved, he is bringing us to the end of ourselves. He is bringing us to realize that we cannot do anything on our own. Apart from him, we have nothing. We cannot work, earn, 
or do anything to deserve or merit salvation or eternal life in Jesus Christ. And when life seems to be, there's a song out there that says, you know, when your world seems to be falling apart, it's not, it's coming together. But sometimes our world needs to come apart first so that we begin to realize that the solution to life is not in us, it is in Jesus Christ. And he is bringing us to that point. Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God, as we begin to put our faith and trust in him and his finished work for us, do we begin to find real life. But it doesn't end there. He continues to do that in the Christian life. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that as we go on. But our, our flesh has a desire for praise. It has a desire to be patted on the back. It wants to be, it just wants to be recognized for its own greatness. And we have a tendency that stays with us even after we're saved to want to live the Christian life in ourselves, in our own strength, and to be able to, you know, have people point back to me. But the glory needs to go to the Lord. It is the Lord's work. And he is still continuing to bring us to the end of ourselves. And I could share story after story of people who have been in ministry who God has brought to the end of themselves, even in ministry, even in pastoring, even in the mission field, who have come to the end of themselves and begin to realize that it's not about us, it's about the Lord. Um, we will elaborate a little bit more on how we overcome the world with our faith as we go through. But what is faith? Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 to 3. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and the insurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. The older I get, and I'm getting old, I guess the more we get old, we talk about our oldness, and, but anyway. But I'm standing there one day, I was walking home, and I was looking up in the sky, and I watched these uh, geese fly overhead. What do you know about the geese when they fly overhead? What? They fly in a pattern. Whoever taught them that pattern? They fly in a perfect V. And they have all these little simplicities where they take turns taking the leadership in the V. And, you know, we, we look at the life and the design of the creation around us <clears throat> the design denotes a designer. It did not just happen. One look, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but one look at the interdependence of animals on plants and plants on animals, the development of both sexes at the same time, when in the process of evolution did the species decide that, you know, breaking apart and becoming two was no fun? and decided to change the way that they reproduced. And that they had to produce a male and a female at the same time. The odds of all these things happening as you begin to look at the dependence of man upon the plants and then the fact that the birds, the fish, and, and the mammals are absolutely completely different from each other and they are interdependent upon each of the different species. And the more you begin to look at the interdependence of the system that we live in, the more you begin to realize the impossibility of the odds of all of these things ever occurring. 
No matter how much you extend the length of time, the world are trying to sell a lie that makes no sense. They're trying to sell us a lie that makes no sense. It takes more faith to believe in evolution than the fact that there is a designer around us. You know, we, and, and, and I'm going to leave it at there, but you look at the world and you will see a designer, you know, and uh, we can see the designer in his handiwork. Even within our own body, the enzymes in our body, if they were the least bit out of whack, we're dead. The, the unbelievable balance, even within our own system, is so remarkable. But enough said. The personal testimony of faith is the confidence of what is hoped for and not seen. He says, faith is the confidence of what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. Uh, this verse is not up on the slides, but in Titus 1-2, he says, in joyful anticipation of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before the world began. In joyful anticipation, the word there is that I'm anticipating what God has promised to me. It is a faith relationship to a God that does not lie and the assurance that what God has said he will do. But um, look at the, I'm going to look at the importance of faith in Hebrews 1.6. It says, without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. You ever wonder why it's impossible to please God without faith? This is not a works-oriented verse here. This is not a, a verse that, oh, I don't have enough faith. I don't, I don't have to work up my faith so that God can be happy with me. God designed us for a relationship with him. But you cannot have a relationship with someone you don't believe in. It's impossible for you and I to enjoy the relationship with the Lord if we don't believe in him, if we don't have the confidence of who he is. God designed you and I for fellowship with him. It is not a religion believing in a group of doctrines. It is a personal relationship between us and the Lord who loves us. The choice of music tonight was awesome. The choice of music and the words in your music was just awesome tonight. He says, between us and the Lord who loved us, we don't see him, yet we can know him through his handiwork. But, do you, but it's a personal relationship. Before I was saved, I began asking God questions. I can remember as a child when I watched my church burn down. And I lived about two miles from the church when it burned down. And I could see the church burning from my back window. And I didn't talk to my parents. I didn't talk to my mother, my father, my brother, or my sister. I sat there and I started asking God, why would he allow his church to burn down? But I started carrying on a conversation with him. I remember after the church was burnt down and we had um, the services in the, in the uh, 
in the school where we were going to school. I was going to a parochial school at the time. And I can remember kneeling there in all the, the religious you know, things that are going on, but talking to the Lord and asking questions about what, what is this all about? And, you know, God wants us to talk to him. It says, no one can do it for us. He says, draw near to God and God will draw near to us. But nobody can draw near to God for us. We can, we're the only ones that can do that. We're the only ones that can carry on that conversation to a God who hears and a God who listens and a God who will respond. But it says, draw near to him and he will draw near to us. In other words, the only way we can have a relationship, a pleasing relationship with the Lord is if we believe him so that we can carry on a conversation with this God who loves us. We sing about him loving us, but we can actually talk to him and be encouraged through his spirit as he responds to us. Um, we can pray for people, but only people can develop an individual relationship with the Lord. Taste and see, Psalms, taste and see that the Lord is good. When, how many of you like to go out eating to all different kinds of places? I, you know, my wife and I just love to, we, we call it, let's do something different tonight and go. And you, want, and you want to taste and see if this is something you like, this is something you want to put on your, you know, visit or place you like to go back to and eat. It says taste and see. Well, only we can do the tasting. And it says, taste and see that the Lord is good. But we need to pour our heart out into his hands and taste and see that he really is good, that he really does love us. Pour our hearts out to him. And the one thing I want to encourage more than anything else is parents need to encourage children to have a living relationship with their God. It is the faith of the child, it is childlike faith, and to encourage children to talk to him and pray to him. Uh, it's a great way to encourage people. But one of the greatest examples of faith, this is what, to me, what this is, you want to see the definition of faith. Look at Abraham in Romans chapter 4, verses 18 to 22. It says, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed, and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. Since he was about a hundred years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead, yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. There is one of the best pictures of faith in Scripture, but is being fully persuaded that God is able to do what he promised. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. To come to that moment in life and understanding to know that as I place my faith in him, he will give me eternal life. Being fully persuaded that what God has promised, he is able to do. There's no doubt that Abraham, if you look at the life of Abraham, Abraham struggled in his faith before the events with Isaac. We all struggle in our faith. But in time, his faith continued to increase 
as we begin to understand scriptures, we watch God take us through our lives every day. There are ways and things that I look at life now that I never looked at years ago. And I have a confidence, even in the point of conflict. I hate conflict, by the way. I don't know if you do, but I hate conflict. Conflict is one of those things that scares the life out of me. But I've even gotten to a point now where I really believe that all things work together for good, and even in the midst of this conflict, God, you are transforming my life, and you are working in my heart. And, you know, God is taking us and maturing us and growing us in our faith. Faith is the application of the truth of Scripture to my daily life. Faith is the application of the truth of Scripture to my daily life. As I... As God, and by the way, the Spirit of God brings truth into my heart. And as I begin to understand in the day, it takes faith to step out and believe it and accept it as fact. But it begins to transform my life. It begins to transform my vision. Uh, we look at this couple on the screen earlier tonight, you know, watching the Lord take them over to Africa. My wife and I spent 10 years in Thailand. I watched the Lord. I hate travel, by the way. I, I don't even know how I got halfway around the world except that God led me over there. And I watched the Lord raise our support, take us overseas, watched my kids grow up overseas. My son still lives in the Philippines. He feels at home in Asia. And, uh, but I watched God do a work in our hearts as he you know, continues to work as we trust him to, there's nothing that God's going to lead us to do that he can't do for us. And learning to respond to his, you know, working in our heart. And uh, we were talking earlier, there are so many opportunities. In fact, I understand uh, last, I think it was last week or the week before, Tim's message was on, you know, where do we get involved? Believe God to show you where he wants you involved. We could burn out in a day. There is so much need in this world around us. We could burn out in one day. But for, you know, I don't know what I accomplished in 10 years in Thailand, but I will tell you what God accomplished in 10 years in my life over in Thailand. I feel like I grew more in grace and the knowledge of the Lord in those 10 years. And, I mean, we have wonderful ministry and memories. My wife stays on Facebook with all the kids that we taught while we were over there. But God is building our faith as we step out and just begin to obey him bit by bit, trusting him to take us. Philippians 1, 6 says, he, he who began a good work in you will continue until the day of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> faith is believing that God is working in us and changing us. We go to our salvation by faith. It says, to be found in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own, that comes from the law, but the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. If this little piece of paper is you and I, oh, that's right, this is on film. I better not war, uh, wander too far here. Um, and this Bible is Jesus Christ. You know, we, when we look at ourselves, we struggle. How can God ever love me? But it says to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, but that which is of the faith of Jesus Christ. Where are we found? Where are we found? In Christ. 
If this Bible is Christ, we're found in him. When God looks down at us, he does not see us. He sees the righteousness of his son. By faith, we accept the fact that it's his righteousness that gives us eternal life, not our good works. It says, may be found in Christ not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. It's not anything that I do or the work that I do, but the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Are we persuaded that because of Christ, God sees us righteous in his sight? Oh, it isn't that we don't struggle, and it isn't that we don't, we're very needy people. But when we get out of bed in the morning, we are in Christ, and God sees us as righteous. And my, my job in the day is not to make God happy with me, it's to understand all that he has for me. And I begin to understand that his desire for my life is far better and far more intelligent than my desire for my life. And I begin to trust him and walk with him. But I'm already seen as absolutely righteous in his sight. It is not my faith that saves me, by the way. It is the object of my faith that saves me. We talk about having faith in a chair, so when I sit in a chair, what's holding me up? My faith? What's holding me up when I sit in a chair? The chair is holding me up. I have faith that that chair can hold me, but it is the chair that is holding me. It is the object of my faith that saves me. Jesus Christ is the object of my faith. It is his finished work upon Calvary's cross that I trust in for my eternal life and my eternal destiny. It is his work that saves me it is, that is the object of my faith. The question is, where is our faith? Is it in the right thing? But my faith is in Christ, and is he the one who saves me. And he gives us a great exchange, for he, God, hath made him, Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. The great exchange, he took our sin and our life upon that cross, and gave us his life in return. He comes to live and dwell in us and wants to live his life out through us so that we can enjoy a relationship, a fellowship with the Father and the Son. But as we have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, we receive him by faith, we also walk with him by faith. Our daily walk of faith, Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 to 12. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, how do we receive Christ Jesus the Lord? We receive him by faith, as you have therefore received him, by grace through faith. We receive him by grace through faith. We walk with him by grace through faith. We begin to trust him daily. It says, as you have therefore continued to live your lives in him, rooted and built up where? In him. Strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. We live in Christ and in the work that he has for us in our hearts. So see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. 
Don't let anybody begin to tell us that you have this whole long list of stuff you now have to do as a believer to make God happy. Bible study is a gift of God. Fellowship, church, is a gift. When we come in here, it is a gift to us to have the body of Christ. When we see it as a work and something that we have to do, it becomes a drudgery. When we see church as a gift to us, as the body of Christ, it is the body of Christ that is such a blessing to you and I. But the ultimate thing is because of Christ, our life is in him. Colossians 2, 6 to 12 continued. Why? Why Christ? Because this is who he is. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. We have, it's already done. It comes with our salvation. The New Testament is written to teach you and I how to apply the truths of what happened to us at Calvary. When we trust in Christ as our Savior, all kinds of things begin to happen. And the New Testament was written to teach us how to appropriate the truths of the exchanged life at Calvary, to teach you and I how to walk and enjoy our relationship with the Lord and the newness of the Lord. He is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. My faith is in the resurrected Christ. One of the most interesting things about the day I got saved was the guy sat there and he said, you know, if you were dead and buried, and we buried you in the ground, and we put a shovel with you, would you be able to take the shovel, dig your way out of the ground, and climb up to heaven? And I sat there and I said, well, is that a stupid thing or what? I'm dead. You can bury four shovels with me and I'm dead. There's nothing I can do with a shovel. And then he said, but then why not understand and trust that the only person to come back from the dead on his own power to prove that he had the ability to raise you to eternal life, to raise the dead. Christ has the ability to raise the dead. He has the ability to raise you and I to eternal life. He becomes the central figure of our life. But there is a battle going on. And one of the most important things about our faith is that we need to realize there really is a battle going on every day. Faith is taking God at his word and realizing that there's, there's a forces around us. There is an evil force. And it's so easy to want to believe that there isn't. I mean, I, I remember when I was uh, newly saved and down in working on the campus of University of Miami while I was going to Bible school and working with Christian scientists who tell me that evil is just a, is a figment of my imagination and really doesn't happen. Now, this was during the Vietnam War. That'll tell you how old I am. And I remember standing there looking at this guy and saying, so you're telling me that all these body bags coming back <clears throat> from Vietnam are a figment of my imagination. He said, yes. He said, all evil is a figment of our imagination. It really doesn't exist. And I just looked at him, and I was standing next to his car. 
and, and this is, you know, when I was a little more enthusiastic about life and a little more argumentative than I was today, and I took my hand and I went, bam, right on the hood of his car. And he jumped back and looked at me, and I looked at him, and I said, that was a figment of your imagination. I said, this is nonsense. There is an evil battle going on. There's a battle of faith against the world, the flesh, and the devil. And if we don't believe that, we become, you know, prone to all the things that they want to do and destroy you and I and our faith in Christ and the effectiveness that God wants to make of our lives in the world around us. The world, 1 John 2, 16, for everything in the world... The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. But here is faith, and this is where faith comes in. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. It is only by faith that we realize that we, we have all that is necessary to live in life today. There is a battle going on that wants to consume our attention. We live in a rat race. My wife and I just spent a week in the Philippines with my son for Christmas. You know, my son has gotten to the point where he said, Daddy says, I'm not sure I even want my kids to come over to visit in America. He says, our country is so materialistic. He said, we have nothing over here. But my kids are happy. They enjoy life. But they have nothing. And um, he's married to a Filipino girl with four children. Well, she had three, and they have one more between them. He called me one night on the phone. He said, Dad. He said, how would you like three more grandchildren? I got the hint he was going to marry someone with three children. But, um, but you know, there, there's a, this world around us, <clears throat> the world is constantly telling us that we don't have enough. We live in a world that tells us we need more and more, that happiness depends on having material things and having our beauty. Look at the advertising we see every day. And, you know, I will tell you, as we grow in grace and the knowledge of the Lord and we mature and we begin to look at the advertising on the TV, some of it should just begin to make us sick. It's just stupid. They, they, they hammer at us as if we, have, we are stupid. As we grow in grace and the knowledge of the Lord, I trust we begin to see the lives of Wall Street and Fifth Avenue. Godliness with contentment is, the Bible calls it, great gain. But guess what? The only way we apply that truth to our life is by faith. We need to begin to believe that what we have is sufficient for our life. And that there is contentment. That we can enjoy life with very little. I grew up and I don't know, maybe it's part of the experience that God has given me in my life. We all come from different backgrounds. But I grew up in a home my mom never graduated from elementary school. My dad never graduated from high school. I grew up in a home where I felt loved and secured. 
I had no idea that we were poor. I had no idea that we lived on the other side of the tracks. I enjoy, I have wonderful memories of where I grew up. And my mom, I never heard my mom complain about not having this or not having that. I just knew we had fun. We played games as a family. We just enjoyed each other. We enjoyed each other's company. When the electric went out, we would play by candlelight and do jigsaw puzzles and play games. And we grew up enjoying life. I enjoyed life. And, um, but it is believing God to show us what is really important in our lives and what is really necessary in our lives. Because, you know, as he says, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. And we don't want to go there. But it, the only way to have victory over the world is by faith, taking God at his word and understanding what God says is really important in our lives and to enjoy what he has born in our life. Then the battle of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. It is a faith victory over the flesh. We too, Romans 6, 1 to 11, abbreviate it. We too may live a new life. Our old self was crucified with him that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Understanding the truth of Calvary, it says that we died with him, we were buried with him, we are raised in newness of life. So live a new life, but that new life comes by appropriating the truth of what happened at Calvary. Sin was destroyed on that tree. The power of sin was destroyed on the tree. It says, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. But that word count is faith. Reckon it to be true. I, I have lots of stories, but um, there comes a point where we need to realize that the truth of the gospel says that we've already been given the victory over sin. The question is, do we believe it? Do we believe it enough to turn off the porn, to turn off the TV, to turn and look at this and say, this does not need to control my life anymore. God, you have given me the victory over it. But I need to have faith to believe the truth of Romans 6. As I believe the truth of Romans 6, it gives me the ability, the power to say no to sin. I have a free choice to say no to sin. It doesn't need to control my life anymore. But that is a, that is a truth that we need to appropriate. And by the way, we have victory by running to the Lord, not away from him, which I'll share in a little bit. Our strength runs out. His never does. <clears throat> Don't stop believing God for the victory. The victory over addiction is in the power of the cross. Victory over addiction is in the power of the cross. We can have great encouragement. We can have great people telling us, you know, what we need to do to overcome that addiction. And in our own strength and our own power, we can do it for a little while. And then we falter. But we need to understand that God is building our faith. The victory, the genuine victory over 
Addiction comes from the power of the cross, not in the power of ourselves. Our power runs out. You know, it's, and, and I'm going to shift it completely in another direction. <clears throat> Most missionaries will tell you, you know, before we went to the mission field, we, we go on deputation. We tell everybody how much we love the lost, how much we want to go over and win the lost to Christ. We just, you know, love them. God loved them. We love them. And we're going over, you know, to love these people to Christ. And it doesn't take long for missionaries to get overseas and they begin, you know, having the people, you know, spit at them, think they're silly, think they're stupid, just continually to start to use them because they have a truck in the village and they can do this and they can do that. And it doesn't take long for missionaries being used by the people they're trying to minister to before they begin to realize that their love runs out. Our love for people runs out. When we try to love people in our own strength and energy, we fall short. And that's when we come to the fact that it's not here because we love them. We're here because God loves them. He loves me, and he loves to love these people through me. It's not my love that is going to win these people to Christ. It is Christ's love in me that is going to win these people to the Lord and bring them to God loved me despite my sin. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then the devil First Peter 5, 8. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him standing firm in the faith. Satan desires to destroy us. And we need to resist him. But it comes from believing God and taking God and knowing that God has a better route for us than our self-destruction Ephesians 6, 10 to 19, this is abbreviated, but he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Our thought life <clears throat> is not entirely our own. Things come in and out of our heads every day. Some of them come from the devil. Some of them come from the world. Some of them come from ourselves and the Holy Spirit, who is also there speaking to us. But the devil loves, loves to discourage. His greatest tool is to discourage the believer. Oh, how could God use you? One of my greatest heart's desire is to work with men and help men understand that God desires to use their lives and that he wants to begin to work in their hearts and he wants to use us today. Not, not two years from now when we finally got our act together. He wants to use us today because he wants us to enjoy our relationship with him. And that God desires to use our life exactly where we are in humility and vulnerability. If I am struggling with this, I am struggling with this. I am no different than the rest of the world. But we are never going to see victory over our struggles until we are open about them with other men or have the opportunity for the body of Christ to come alongside us and be an encouragement to us. But the devil wants to say, God can use you. Look at what you've been doing. And God says, I want to use you. Just come to me and allow me to begin to do a work in your heart where you're at today. Just be open before me. 
There is a war going on. People unaware of the battle become its victims. We need to be, by faith, believe the word of God. The word of God says that battle was there. The devil is real. Just two more sets of verses. <clears throat> faith in the Spirit. <clears throat> Galatians 5.16 says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walking by the Spirit is a step of faith. How can we walk led by a Spirit if we don't believe He leads us? We will never look to the Lord for wisdom. We will never look to the Lord for guidance if we don't believe He gives it to us. And He gives it to us daily. We could be in the midst of a battle, you know, in, in an emotional battle, and we can stop and say, Lord, what's going on in my heart right now? What's going on in the person next to me? What's going on? Step back and let the Spirit of God begin to speak. Lord, how do I genuinely love this person instead of spending my life defending myself and trying to make sure that he knows I'm right? How do I switch gears? I switch gears by listening to the Lord and allowing the Spirit of God to speak to my heart. Shows me some of my failures. Shows me the pride of my heart. Believe me, <clears throat> when, when I began to see the pride of my heart, <laughs> and I asked somebody, I said, what do you do when you keep seeing the same sin in your life day after day? And he said, what do you mean? I said, well, pride. I said, I just see pride welling up in my life. I feel like I know more than everybody, and I know this and that, and he said, well, how often? I said, well, three, four times a week. And he looked at me and he said, is that all? And he said, pride wants to bring itself forward in our lives. on a day. It, it, <clears throat> Pride wants to control our lives. But he says, the thing that we need to understand is as God begins to reveal sin to us, it is not a failure. It is a victory. Because the Holy Spirit is making us more and more sensitive to see what our life is like apart from allowing Christ to live his life out through me on a daily basis. And as I begin to see the sin in my life and I begin to confess it more and more, I'm actually becoming more aware of the sin that has always been with me prevalently. By the way, <clears throat> we're usually the last ones to see sin in our lives. You ask everybody else what's going on in people's lives, they'll tell you. We're the last ones to see the sin in our lives. But as we allow the Spirit of God to reveal sin to us, and we begin to see it more frequently, it doesn't mean that we're committing it more. It means that we're becoming more sensitive to it, and it enables us to begin to have victory over it quicker and quicker and quicker as we begin to mature in our walk in relationship to Christ and our walk in relationship to the people around us. And that's a work of faith, but I need to believe and, and, you know, when we get to a point, when we see sin in our life, can we just sit back and get to a point in our life where we say, thanks, Lord, for showing me that, and begin to move on in our life on a daily basis. It says, in verse Ephesians 5, it says, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
We want to develop a daily relationship that believes the Lord gives wisdom in every area of our lives. Taking care of our children, loving our wives, being a testimony at work, and that God is actively desiring to be involved in those areas of our lives and that we could go to him daily. Work is frustrating me today. Lord, help me to to catch a better vision of what you want to accomplish in my life today and how you want me to relate to the people around me. And finally, and this is the thing, I think this is the key to so much of who we are, is learning to have faith in the love of God. Romans 8, 31, 39, this is abbreviated. But if God is for us, who could be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or sword? Here's your faith. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither present or future, nor powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. My faith is in the truth of the fact that God loves me. No matter what circumstances we are going through, God has not stopped loving us. He is never in the process of punishing us. He allows things into our life for the purpose of causing us to grow spiritually. When things come into my life and I have a confidence that God loves me, then I have a confidence and ability to face the turmoil and the struggle I'm looking at with the confidence that God is involved in this. Don't believe the lies of the devil. Christ will walk through the most difficult of times in our life with us. He will never leave us or forsake us. When trouble comes, he never tires of our attention. When my grandson died at three months old, I will never forget my daughter. Um, she got up. Her, her, this is her son. I, in fact, the first time I ever held him in my arms was after he was dead. I'm not a little baby person. I'm, I'm, I wait till they grow up a little more. But the first time I held my grandson, he was dead at three months, sitting in the hospital with my son and my daughter-in-law, my, my daughter and my son-in-law. And I just looked at him and I said, Timothy, I said, you've stolen a march on us. Not sure what you were going to be like, but I know we're going to see you in heaven. It was a faith appropriation. But at the funeral, my daughter got up in front of the church and she said, the thing I want you to know as an audience is that I don't understand why my son died. And I don't fully understand all that God is doing. But I want you to understand that God is still good despite the fact that I'm going through a deep tragedy. And I don't want anyone to walk out of this church believing that God is not good. He is good. And when it's all over and done, we're going to understand God's plan. 
I was astounded as her father to sit there and listen to her. But God is in the midst of our deepest trials and struggles. A life of faith brings peace because it is rooted in the truth of the God who created us. The purpose of this message is not for condemnation, but to encourage us to apply the truth of Scripture to our life daily. We're going to finish in a couple minutes, so if you guys want to go ahead and put your music up behind the, the curtain, I'll give you a little bit of warning. But Mark 9.14 is the story of the man whose son was demon-possessed. And the father and his uh, the father, the boy, the boy, the father of the boy is speaking to the Lord, and he looks at the Lord and he says, "But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us." Now he's talking to the God of all creation, talking to Jesus Christ, and the Lord responds. Jesus says to him, "If you can," with a question mark. He is talking to the God of the universe who was capable of doing anything. And it's just interesting to see Jesus look at the Father. And then he says to the Father, everything is possible for one who believes. And the boy's father exclaimed, I believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. What are we going through today that has us so consumed? Is it jobs, lack of income, our future, marriage turmoil? I've been there. Only by the grace of God, I'm not divorced. And now my wife is my very best friend. But I will tell you, that was the work of the grace of God in our hearts to pull us together. And he says, let this be our prayer. Lord, help me in my unbelief. When I can't see my way through the day, and I don't understand, I need to come to the Lord and say, Lord, help my unbelief, you know. But draw near to God, and he will draw near to us. Um, last verse of Scripture. Um, it's not on the overhead. John 16, 33, and I'm going to close after this. Jesus looks at them and he says, I have told you these things so that in me, in Christ, you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. It is Jesus who has overcome the world. And it's our faith in him that gives us the ability to overcome the pressure, the stress of the world, the flesh, the devil, and everything the circumstances that surround us, the desires of our heart, pour out the desires of our heart in everything by prayer and petition. Make your request known unto God and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keeps our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray.